Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are on the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. We are on the edge of our seats waiting to see if Congress can complete a Hail Mary pass to keep government running and give lawmakers time to pass the dozen annual spending bills that fund government. The Senate has the ball, and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is lined up in the shotgun position, hoping to connect on a last-minute, six-week continuing resolution. Joining us on the sidelines with expert analysis and color commentary are TCS star players Autumn Hanna and Josh Sewell. Enjoying the game? No. This is worse than Super Bowl 55. Looking forward to the discussion, Steve. So, Josh, when you talk about Super Bowls, you need to do that in the Roman le- numbers, you know, or whatever, Roman numerals. But um, I assume that's one that uh, uh, the um, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs lost. Yeah, it was the one that was rigged against the Chiefs, yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're talking about this in football terms, but Budget Watchdog AF Faithful, let's be clear. A shutdown is a costly fumble that achieves nothing and wastes time and taxpayers' cash, as you're soon to hear. Podcast listeners, things are really fluid and rapidly changing, but it could appear that the legislative logjam has loosened and appropriations bills and continuing resolutions are moving. Or are they? Recognizing that everything can change between now and the start of the fiscal year on Sunday, October 1st, Autumn? Let's start with the House. What's the state of play? Well, Tuesday night, the House approved a rule to govern debate and move forward with defense, homeland security, agriculture, and the state foreign operations spending bills. And they debated ag until 3 a.m. Wednesday morning and went back at it at 9 a.m. with defense. So there's speed legislating. But to no end, even if they pass the four bills, and that's a big if, the rule was approved on a 216 to 212 vote. That's not a lot of room for error. No, it isn't, Steve. And there's no legislative way they could pass the four bills, get them over to the Senate, have them approved and sent to the president for signature before the end of the fiscal year. And they still wouldn't fund all of government. And and of course, the Democrats are in the majority in the Senate and the president is a Democrat. So they're not just going to sign off on what the House Republicans are passing, right? Especially since the bills have gotten more conservative with a lot of hot button issues. So this is a sideshow. Okay, I'll bite. So what's the what's the real show? What's really happening on the gridiron? Actually enacting a CR to keep government running and avoiding a shutdown. In other words, what the Senate is doing. Okay, let's elaborate. What What is the Senate doing, Autumn? As you mentioned at the top, they have moved forward with the CR that will keep government funded for six weeks. It is relatively clean, meaning that not a lot of anomalies that adjust new funding levels are included. The most notable thing is $6 billion in assistance to Ukraine and $6 billion for FEMA to replenish the disaster relief fund. And we've talked about the DRF before. I mean, this is one that's been exhausted by all the disasters that have that have occurred and is actually running on fumes here at the end of the end of the fiscal year. So that's really important. 
autumn, then, you know, they just they passed that and they approved uh, the Senate approved it by a filibuster proof majority of uh, 77 to 19. Um, and they just send it over to the House for approval. Easy peasy, right? Actually, that's wrong. No. Uh, OK, Let, uh, fill me in here. Well, it should be easy peasy, as you say, but the Sierra is likely going nowhere in the House. If it came up, it would pass by a wide margin, but it's unlikely Speaker McCarthy is going to bring it up because a vocal but small but critical number of House Republicans wouldn't be up in arms if McCarthy were to bring this to the floor. And it may cost him his speakership. So no profiling courage moment there. Uh, and I actually saw right before we went to tape that he had, he had reconfirmed that he would not bring it to the to the floor. And so um that is, uh, it looks like we are really heading towards a, a shutdown. I'm your host, Steve Ellis, and you're listening to Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. We continue now with TCS Vice President Autumn Hanna and TCS Senior Policy Analyst Josh Sewell. All right, Josh, I'm going to bring you in here. And so uh, you're a grizzled vet- veteran of the budget gridiron. Give us the cliffs notes here. Disaster? Disaster or not, I think it depends on how long this thing lasts. A shutdown is going to be a major inconvenience for some folks and maybe a minor one for many of us. Uh, but frankly, many federal workers will still be working. Others won't. Uh, and so the fact is they all will eventually get paid. And so whether it's a disaster uh, just depends on how this latest shutdown unfolds. And I know that's a bit of an amorphous answer, but it all matters. It, it depends on the details. And also, frankly, shutdowns are apparently not rare anymore. So not not rare. Um, so what are what are some of the more recent shutdowns that that we've had and and, you know, even for how long and what have been some of the impacts? Yeah, I mean, the first shutdown that I remember was back in the, in the 90s, you know, in, in 1995. But in recent memory, um, it really was almost it was 10 years to the day almost uh, when we had our first shutdown uh, in this new era of shutdowns. Uh, and that lasted the one that happened in 2013 going into fiscal year 2014 was. I think it was 16 days uh, from what I can remember. Uh, And then we had another one, um, a little hiatus for a while that occurred under the Trump administration, uh, which it had two uh, major ones. Uh, And the first happened in uh, early 2018 and technically for two days uh, was the one that happened then. And then the big one happened at the end of uh, that Congress when Democrats were about to take over after the 2018 election and ended up being 34 days. Uh, which in D.C. felt like an eternity. Yeah, 34 days. I mean, more than a month. And that's uh, it's a lot of people pay, being paid for a lot of work that they didn't do uh, and and not to their not on, at their fault. Right. It's the work that wasn't Congress wasn't doing. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it was frankly irritating. I don't know the word, the best word to use for it for those of us who, who care about fiscal responsibility and just want the government to work uh, to work well. You, We're happy with certain things not being done, but to just sit around and not get anything for the money we end up spending was really frustrating because the thing is everyone's going to get paid. Um, It's not just that we think it's going to happen. It's the law like it's actually mandated that federal workers get back pay because it's no fault of their own. And so we're not getting anything. So we're paying all this money. We're not getting anything in return. Those government services that we all pay for. So, yeah, so there's not there's no savings, even though people are talking about that's what they're fighting for. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. There's there's an actual fiscal cost. There was an analysis done by either GAO or CBO, one of the people who actually, these agencies that actually do real analysis, and they found that the shutdown and that 34-day shutdown had a $11 billion cost, I believe it was. You know, and, you know, $11 billion isn't a lot, I know, compared to, say, a $6 trillion federal budget or a $20 trillion economy, but it's $11 billion and we got absolutely nothing for it. And so you're just going to have the same issue again under this shutdown uh, and perhaps for longer. Well, yeah. And we know um, $11 billion, you know, it's more than the budget of some annual budgets of some agencies like the EPA. And so, I mean, if somebody's saying that it's chump change, well, then they're not really serious about fiscal reform and savings. No, exactly. And I think it, the other question that I would have is like, if it was $16 billion or even $160 billion, if that was the price to we had to pay to move our fiscal ship towards the shores of fiscal responsibility, I'd be happy to pay for that. I mean, I could send government workers away for three months if that's what it took. But like, I don't see that happening. I don't know what the end game is. And that's where I'm getting exasperated is I don't know what, if anything, is going to come out of a shutdown, whether it lasts for three days or for three months. So exasperating, you're not identifying with the metaphor, the football metaphor that we've been using here and talking about fiscal ships, but I'll, I'll let that go. Another thing, Josh, is, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously the people who they say they aren't really egging on a shutdown, but by not supporting a CR, they certainly are. I mean, do they get what they want in the end? I mean, what has what the history told us about who wins if there's such a thing in these shutdowns? Or be, better yet, I guess it is who loses. Yeah. I mean, historically, there's been a political cost for the people who are seen as advocating for the shutdown. And it has been Republicans in the past have, have typically uh, not seen a benefit from this as they were the party seen as doing the shutdown. Whether that holds now in this current era, I don't know. But it will they get what they want? First of all, what do they want? And I'm not trying to be rude. We actually work with Mr. Biggs and and uh, Mr. Perry and Mr. Roy, all these folks who are part of the Freedom Caucus, we work with them on a number of issues on this particular issue or how those folks and others are approaching it. I don't actually know what they want because the goalposts are continually moved in this debate. And it's frustrating for me. I'm sure it's even more frustrating for Speaker McCarthy. And so I so will they get what they want? I don't know what they want. And But in the end, I think you and Autumn already covered this in some respects, is no, the math isn't there. The politics isn't there. Like, you can hold out for as long as you want, but you're not going to change this. who's in the Senate. You're not going to change the fact that it's a 50-50 Senate. And then even the Republicans in the Senate apparently don't support going back on this debt deal that we had, which, by the way, remember back in June, which was like seven years ago, the spending levels for 2024 were set in that deal. We almost had a debt ceiling breach. And instead, we had an agreement, we being Congress and the president saying, we've now set the level of spending we're going to do for 2024 and 2025. And it's enforceable. It's lower than it would have been. It's basically back to 2022 levels. So it's not an increase. And now they are, again, hiding the ball, moving the goalposts, uh, choose your metaphor. Right. Well, and 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 just to be clear, too, it's actually even more than a 50-50 Senate. It's actually a, a Democratic majority in the Senate. Um, it's tight, but it's even a Democratic majority, unlike uh, previous Congress. So, Josh, an L would have real world impacts on many Americans and starting with military personnel and federal workers. What's to expect here, Josh? I mean, we talked about how long the shutdown is. And so what are some of those impacts? Well, that's one difference between this and the last few shutdowns is that unlike in previous years, 
the military as of now, as of since we're taping this, active duty military will not get paid during the shutdown. In previous prior to previous shutdowns, either the defense appropriations had already been passed, and so it was other parts of the government that were shut down and not the defense because the the, the bill was done. Or in 2013, literally, I think it was two o'clock in the morning the day before. And so by the end of the day, they were able to get it done. There was a separate legislation that said military will get paid, essentially, uh, from from another pot of funds. That hasn't happened. So they won't get their check. Now, the wrinkle is, I think we looked this up and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's on the 13th of October is when the actual paycheck will go out for the military and federal workers. So even though... They would be working and not get paid. The actual paycheck hitting the account, it's not going to happen for about two weeks. So you have a two-week breathing room in some respects before you actually feel uh, that effect with folks who are, uh, frankly, many of them living paycheck to paycheck or at least don't have a huge nest egg or don't automatically get paid like members of Congress do even during a shutdown. Right. And that doesn't even mention the anxiety of knowing that you're not sure if you're going to get that paycheck and trying to figure out, read the political tea leaves, which is not something that they're really paid to do, in this case, aren't being paid to do. And, uh, you know, that also doesn't get to all the millions of contractors that don't get paid even when they end the shutdown. All right. So, Autumn, they talked about savings and and a lot of this is all, you know, and shutdowns typically are wrapped around fiscal issues. Um, but uh, if TCS had the clipboard and you were calling the plays here. How would you advocate some sort of quick strikes to actually get sounder financial footing across the budget? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of things, Steve, we would do pretty different. I mean, this system is broken and has been for a long time. We haven't been able to move regular order bills and really have the debates on sound cuts and decisions that would bring in revenue and eliminate uh, areas where we have no waste, fraud, and abuse, uh, many of which we cover in lots of other podcasts. Um, and even just last week, we were talking about raising revenue from oil and gas, where we're selling federally owned, taxpayer owned resources at below market rates and leaving billions of dollars in revenue on the table for decades. We're finally trying to correct some of those practices, but there's plenty of other examples where we can bring in revenue. And I think you really just want to start having those conversations, real conversations outside of these end game or fourth quarter plays. We're going with the football. I mean, analogies here, we can't ignore the whole rest of the game and then get to the end here and expect to turn things around. So starting with real debate across the federal budget and looking at in particular areas that I've covered over the years in the energy and natural resource space to bring in more revenue and cut, frankly, a lot of the subsidies that aren't necessary. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're not going to solve all the problems, but they certainly are going to make it less of an issue and actually kind of move the ball down the field, as you're saying, Autumn. And then, you know, we can try to build and, and do a bigger, bigger sweeps on on some of the large ticket issues. Um, Josh, what are some of your ideas? Well, I, I think, first of all, we shouldn't become one dimensional in the way we approach this. And we should use the whole field and all the tools in the toolbox. This debate is over annual discretionary spending. You know, it's it's a lot of money. It's about one point six trillion, more or less. You know, and the, the question is, do you go down to one point four seven? But that top line, whether it's one point five, one point six, one point seven, it's only one third of the budget. Two thirds of the budget, four trillion dollars. Actually, was is that about four trillion dollars last uh, last year? Is on um, mandatory. It's on the manager side. It's automatic. It's Social Security. It's Medicare. It's the Farm Bill. It's things that happen, even if we don't. While we're shut down, that spending is still either it's actually going out or it's set to go out and it will and it will occur. And so 
we have to look at that. And I think I'm not saying don't look at the discretionary, but we had this fight. There was some resolution. It wasn't perfect, but it was resolved to an extent. So let's move forward. There are other bites of the apple. And this is where I, I very much disagree with with some of the statements from from our Freedom Caucus friends is that this is not the last leverage point for this Congress. This Congress still has a whole nother year. It's a year and what? almost two months. It's a year and a, it's a year and a month and weeks until the next election, which means we have a year and a half almost before the next Congress sits. We're going to have to deal with other issues. Hey, guess what? The farm bill expires in three days as well. So does flood insurance. So does FAA reauthorization. So we're going to have to deal with those issues at some point. Uh, and no matter what happens, if you pass a CR at some point, we're going to have a CR. Then we have, it's, it was, is it through November 17th or is it through December 17th? We're going to be back in this position again to talk about how do we do the underlying bills? There are more bites of this apple. You know, it's, I don't know what down we are, but we're certainly not in the fourth quarter of this issue. And so move on. Let's do something else. Let's find, let's debate these other big ticket items where we have an opportunity to save money. Take a little bit of the win, take the three yards we got with the debt deal, and now let's move and get more yardage so we can get down and score that fiscal touchdown. Just to piggyback off a little bit of what Josh is saying here, you know, there are there are things we can do at different points, and there's discussions now by the a fiscal commission again, you know, looking at how we can tackle the debt issues that we're facing. And we all have our opinions of those, but there are ways forward. And you know, I brought regular order appropriations before and process and debate on these subject issues. But I think looking at a fiscal commission could be another way to really hopefully get some good things on the table and start to tackle our issues. You're certainly right, Autumn, in that it's something where ideally something does happen. You know, if they do a fiscal commission that looks at Social Security, Medicare, major entitlements, other budget changes and things along those lines. And then it's just, it, it's does Congress and the president have the intestinal fortitude to actually push forward with those changes. I mean, we saw that Simpson-Bowles, for instance, uh, the the fiscal commission back a decade ago, they came up with recommendations and, you know, some people didn't, you know, were opposed to them or concerned about them, but, you know, they got bipartisan support in the commission, which included people like Senator Coburn, um, a very conservative Republican from Oklahoma, uh, but it didn't really get the backing from President Obama and it didn't get backing from Congress and it kind of went nowhere. So it really is, is it going to be where lawmakers ha- have a spine and stand up and push these things forward, recognizing that these are difficult political issues, you know, sort of like what happened actually going back. And this is even before my time, but, you know, back to um, Alan Greenspan in the mid 80s on a commission there that helped put Social Security back and ma- made it solvent again. And now we're we're facing that same sort of motion. So. Well, commissions often fail and they seem like it's sort of a, a punt of, of the uh, responsibility of Congress. In reality, I think it's one of the only ways forward at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm not I'm no fan of Congress punting its responsibilities, but this Congress and previous Congresses have continually fumbled the ball when, when dealing with these issues. And so you have to do something different. And ultimately, again, I I agree that debt is an important issue, that deficits have to get under control. But You can't just look at one small part of the budget and not look at the rest and also set yourself up in a way where I don't know if you can poison the well any more than we already have in this Congress. There's a lot of animosity, but the only way forward is if we actually get people to really grasp what the big issues and come to a compromise. And I'm not preaching bipartisanship just to have it. There's plenty of 
bad stuff that comes in a bipartisan manner. We can talk about the farm bill all day if you'd like. But in this area, the the interests are too diverse. The costs are too high. Uh, having a all for me and none for you mentality is not going to work. And so even if if I supported everything that they wanted, I don't think it's going to work because you have a Senate, you have a president and we're stuck with this. And so you don't go to deficit reduction with the Congress and the president you, you want to have, or you hope to have someday you go with the one that you have. And so we have to figure out what we can get now um, because you know, that's just what we have to do. And they all ran, they all ran for this opportunity. They were, they chose to run for Congress or the Senate and now it's time to do your job. We're happy to help, but we're not the ones who could, who are actually able to go in there and make those votes. The uh, hope you have, wish you have is very Rumsfeldian of you, Josh. All right. So, you know, one of the things that's big in football now are all the, uh, the betting, you know, so you all put on your FanDuel hats, your MGM, your DraftKings hats, any of those sort of betting sites, and let's put your odds on. So what are the odds, Josh, that there is, and I'm coming to you after this autumn, so think about it. Uh, what are the odds that there's a shutdown and how long? I'm from Southern Missouri, so I don't actually bet. I don't gamble, but I think the odds of a shutdown are 99.9%. Uh, the question is just how long? And I think I'm going to give it 22 days just because I think that will they'll exceed because um, they got to do more than what they did under Obama just to because that's how it works now. Uh, and also, but I don't think it'll be a much past when there's a little bit of that financial pain for folks. But I think nothing changes until there's actual pain. All right, Autumn, your your prognostication. So unlike Josh, I'm, I, I love gambling. We're a big gambler, but I am not a very good gambler. So I see the odds here, though, and I think that Josh is right that we and I've, I've said it already that, you know, we're headed to the towards the shutdown. But I want to be optimistic because I couldn't work in Washington as long as I have if I wasn't. So I'm going to say that they can remedy this in a in a long weekend. No, in like a week. <laughs> I'm going to give I'm, I'm going to hope for that. But God, keep the hope. <laughs> So uh, I'll channel my uh, inner John McLaughlin and just say the correct answer is 85% chance. Actually, I think it is a 99.9 or 100% chance and 10 days. All right. Finally, I want to get a sense of the Moody out there. Get it? Moody? Moody's? The rating agency? Well, trust me, they don't find this funny either, podcast listeners. Uh, Josh, how bad is the mood when it comes to evaluating Uncle Sam's credit score right now? Well, the other two major credit uh, scoring agencies already downgraded us uh, a while back. Uh, it's one of them. Uh, and now Moody, who's seemed to have been the most optimistic and the least likely to downgrade the U.S. debt, has said, I mean, you shut down and that downgrade's coming. So the mood is not good. And as you point out, Josh, it's not getting, um, you know, going to get better here. And certainly none of this is addressing these sort of major underlying issues that are that are driving the deficits and debt and certainly increasing defense spending, cutting drastically cutting federal agencies is not going to fly. And so it's just kind of people just whistling in the wind. And I really appreciate both of you joining me here on the podcast today to talk about this very serious issue that we tried to put into a football focus. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, always happy to help. I'm always a team player. Well, there you have it, podcast listeners. With the final seconds ticking off the clock, the Hail Mary passes in the air. Will it connect or will there be a fiscal fumble? Stay tuned. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode soon. 
I hope you'll meet us right here to learn more. 